What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. If you'd like ad-free episodes of both Frightful and my other show, Hometown History Europe, then check out patreon.com forward slash Peter Lord. Thanks. Tonight's episode of Frightful explores claims by a Christian author about what she describes as witchcraft and Satanism. Therefore, members of those communities might find tonight's show offensive. At the end, we will discuss whether her claims can be trusted or not. Thank you. One morning, I was walking with a man I knew. I was in my early 20s, and we were in the centre of a town called Chesham in Buckinghamshire, England. And at one point, we walked past the Baptist church where both of us were attending and I noticed something fluttering on the metal railings of the church fence. I leaned in closer and frowned. It was audio cassette tape. Now, this was the late 90s, early 2000s, when cassettes were still used. And I just shrugged and thought it might be, I don't know, local kids messing around, perhaps. But this man who was with me, who'd been a Christian for many years, I'd only really just started going to church, looked at me and said, "'That's not local kids.'" That will be the witches. I said, what? He said, oh yeah, don't you know that in every town there are covens of witches who record curses onto audio cassette tape like this. And then in the dead of night, they come down and they wrap it with care around the railings of a church building just like this so they can spread their curses on Christians. I said, are you kidding? He went, I am certainly not. In fact, he went on, he said, you have to watch out in church services for strangers who will come and sit at the back because these people are from the covens and the covens send out witches to sit at the back row during a church service and they come to spy on the congregations and to pray against Christian marriages. Now, like I said, I'd only been going to church for a very short time at this. I was new to it all. So I asked this Christian, where on earth did you hear about this big witch conspiracy? Oh yeah, he said, there's books about it, there's Christian speakers who do talks about it, they release videos about it. These are real people who were sucked into witchcraft and joined in with this huge attack on Christians. And they take part in child sacrifice and ritual abuse and demonic orgies. It's shocking stuff. But... Now they found Jesus and got out hallelujah. They are warning us what it's really like out there. Well, I have to admit, I was a bit cynical at this suggestion. But at the same time, I also happened to be at the time and still am a fan of the morbid and macabre. And I just thought, 
I need to get my hands on some of these books he's talking about. They sound like the sort of horror books that Christians are allowed to read, even encouraged to read. <laughs> and so the next time I went to a Christian bookshop, I specifically looked out for books about this topic, and I didn't take very long to find one. I found the one at the time. A life story of a woman who, more than most, helped shape this idea of a shadowy cabal of witches intent on corrupting and cursing the world, but especially the church. It's a notion that even continues to this day among many Christian groups. Well, I'm Peter Laws, and tonight on Frightful, we are going to start a special two-part episode where we will take a deep dive into the author of a book called From Witchcraft to Christ, Doreen Irvin, who claimed to be the queen of the black witches. I didn't even know that Christian bookshops existed until my early 20s when I walked into one in a place called Preston in the UK. I couldn't believe that Christians had their own music albums and artwork and, in particular, vast shelves of books that I had never seen in my entire life, not in any high street bookstore. These were books on theology and Christian living, but one of the most common genres was that of the dramatic conversion story, also known as testimonies. One of the biggest forerunners of this genre was called Run Baby Run by a man called Nicky Cruz. This hard-hitting tale of a young man with an abusive upbringing was published in 1968, and it showed in great detail how Cruz had reached his teens and become a member of a notorious street gang in Brooklyn, New York. Six months later, Cruz said he was their president and engaged in a campaign of drugs and brutal violence until he met a street preacher who he beat up and spit on, and yet the preacher kept on forgiving him. Cruz said he was so shocked by this man's love for him that he wound up a Christian and his life was changed. Now that book, Run Baby Run, was a kind of religious conversion tract, but presented in the form of a tabloid pulp true story paperback. And this combination became a publishing phenomenon. Soon more and more I Used to Be a Hell's Angels type book would appear on the shelves of Christian bookshops. And sure enough, five years later in 1973, a similar book that claimed to be a true life story was published by Concordia Publishing House Limited, which was linked to the Evangelical Lutheran Church in England. But here the author hadn't become the leader of a street gang. She had joined the world of the occult and ended up becoming the Queen of the Black Witches. This was a timely story because fascination in and fear of the occult was huge at the end of the 1960s and into the 1970s. And the idea of devil worship was a frequent topic of horror films and pulp paperbacks. Now, you may never have heard of Doreen Irvin, but this book of hers, From Witchcraft to Christ, flew off the shelves in the early 70s, and the writer, Doreen, was soon invited to speak all over the world about her head-spinning, disturbing life in what she said was service to Satan. And she said that she was offering an insight into a genuine spiritual war that was raging in society and particularly against the church. Many would be horrified at her account and would fully accept it as real. Many still do. But others would claim that this book had no basis in reality whatsoever. What will you decide about this woman's story? Well, we'll assess the validity of Doreen's claims at the end of this special two-part Frightful. But first, 
we will hear her story of how she became the so-called queen of the Black Witches. Doreen Irvin was born in a slum estate in the east end of London in September of 1939. She was the eldest of six girls, and she writes of a life that was filled with lack and deprivation. Very few meals were eaten at the table. My four young sisters and I had to sit on the floor on the back doorstep to eat whatever we had given us, which was not much. Mostly bread and lard. We drank tea from a jam jar. Why can't we have meat and roast potatoes and cake, Mum? I asked one day. My friend round the corner does. We can't afford things like that, so stop moaning and eat what you've got. Her father, she says, was a wife-beating drunk and her mother was really quite useless, often threatening to leave. And so Doreen had to rely on herself from a very early age, even stealing from shops to feed her sisters. Despite, or perhaps because of her distressing home life, she started to go to Sunday school at a church on Waterloo Road. Though she says she just saw church as another place to be disruptive and have fun. The Sunday school teachers were kind and patient with her, which she says that she had never forgotten all her life, but she didn't particularly find any comfort in God. She felt lonely and isolated growing up, and it was made much worse when her mother followed through with her threat one day. She would no longer put up with her abusive husband, and so Doreen's mum just walked out, abandoning her children. And all that she left was a note for Doreen propped up against a half-empty milk bottle that said, Be a good girl, look after the others, and don't cry. Doreen was now 11 years old, and she was furious when her dad brought a new woman home, especially when he announced her as their new mother. Doreen couldn't bear it, and she left home too. She was plagued with guilt about her sisters and hoped to rescue them once she made some money. And she started to work as a live-in housemaid. At first, this went well until six weeks into the job, her beloved friend at the house, the cook, died in her sleep. Then a failed romance led Doreen to leave that job altogether. She sneaked out without announcing her departure and she headed for London. She needed to make money in London quickly, and soon she discovered a surefire way to do it. She befriended a prostitute called Brenda, and Doreen started to think that perhaps this could be her work too. Just listen to the dramatic language she uses to describe it in the book. Thus it was that I too, as a lonely 14-year-old, joined the ranks of the women of the twilight. I entered the world's oldest and most shameful profession. The very next evening, I accompanied Brenda on the streets of Paddington. I saw how easily she attracted men. She simply walked along, swinging her hips, jangling a bunch of keys. It wasn't long before a man approached. Terms were quickly settled. Two pounds, I heard Brenda say. The man nodded, and they both disappeared. It looked easy. So she began work as a prostitute and a stripper in both the Paddington area of London and then in the notorious Soho, London. She earned the nickname Daring Diana. But even though she was earning a decent amount of money, she felt guilt-ridden, depressed and lonely. She started to drink heavily. And after that wasn't enough, she became addicted to heroin. Her addiction ate into her earnings badly, but it also affected her looks. 
I was losing weight rapidly and could not help noticing my deteriorating appearance. My waist-long hair lost its shine and began to fall out, whilst my skin became shallow and pitted. My good looks, my sole asset, disappeared. I knew only too well that I looked more like deathly Diana than daring Diana. One day, the boss of the strip club gave me an ultimatum. Get yourself right or get out. Things got worse. She was arrested for possession and theft and was put into Holloway Prison for three months where she went cold turkey from drugs. She was 21 at the time. Prison didn't get her straight, though, because when she did get out three months later, she was to move into the most dramatic phase of her life. This is when she said she began to be lured into the occult and would eventually become a leader in the empire of Satan itself. Have you ever had an acne breakout come at the worst possible time? I know I have, because it's happening right now. Yes, my skin has been clear for a good few weeks, but then this week I just happened to be visiting family, going out for lovely meals and socializing, and just a few days before, my forehead breaks out in the mother of all spots that any fairy tale witch or cyclops would be proud of. Well, we've all had our struggles with bad skin, and that's why we're excited to partner with Apostrophe, the sponsors of this episode. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed oral and topical medication that are clinically proven to help clear acne. At Apostrophe, a board-certified dermatologist will create a personalized treatment plan that is perfectly tailored to your unique skin. Then, simply fill out Apostrophe's online quiz about your skin goals and medical history. Then, snap a few selfies and a board-certified dermatologist will create your customized treatment plan. Apostrophe treats all kinds of acne, from hormonal acne to facial acne and even chest knee, back knee and butt knee. They treat breakouts from head to toe. For me, I think Apostrophe offers a great and unique solution because it's so important that the treatment plan comes from a real dermatologist and that it is tailored to your unique skin. It's also quick to apply and you don't need to schedule an appointment. We have a special deal for our audience. Save $15 off your first visit with an Apostrophe provider at apostrophe.com frightful when you use our code frightful. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com apostrophe.com slash frightful then click begin visit then use our code frightful at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only five dollars that's apostrophe.com slash frightful and use that code frightful to get your dermatologist crafted treatment plan for five dollars and we thank apostrophe for sponsoring this podcast i was walking by a river one day with my dad when he had to get something from his wallet As he opened it, I spotted a little folded up piece of paper in there, and I said, Dad, what's that? He smiled and said, Ah, that's my letter from Val Dunican. I said, Hang on a minute, I think I've heard of him. He said, Oh, yeah, you probably have. I've got a bunch of his albums at home. You see, Val Dunican was a famous Irish singer who had TV shows in the UK and the US. And I said, Um, how come you've got a letter from the world-famous middle-of-the-road singer Val Dunican in your wallet, Dad? And he just shrugged and said, oh, I wrote to him once and I got a reply. (laughs) It made me think, how many other stories don't I know about him? And maybe with Father's Day coming up, you should ask yourself the same question about your dad or father figure. That's why StoryWorth makes the perfect Father's Day gift. StoryWorth is an online service which helps you and your dad or father figure connect through sharing stories and memories, and it preserves them for years to come. Every week, StoryWorth emails your dad a thought-provoking question of your choice from a vast pool of possible options. 
Each unique prompt asks questions you never may have thought of, like who is your favorite teacher or have you ever been in danger? They might sound like simple questions, but you'll be delighted at how they will help you discover stories and memories you've never heard about before. And this is a really lovely touch. After one year of these regular email questions, StoryWorth compiles all of those questions and stories, including photographs, into a beautiful keepsake book the whole family can share for generations. When we rely on just occasionally telling each other stuff, well, things can get lost. And that's why it's priceless to have something like StoryWorth. So give all the fathers in your life a meaningful gift you can both cherish for years to come. StoryWorth. Right now, for a limited time, you can save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash frightful. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash frightful to save $10 on your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash frightful. Doreen said she first discovered witchcraft not in some dingy old stereotypical forest or an abandoned gothic mausoleum, but right there in her usual workplace. Two girls were standing together in the semi-darkness of the strip club, whispering in hushed voices. What was it that made these two girls so different from the others? I had noticed them before. They were always together, never making friends with anyone else. A strange bond held them together. In fact, I never saw them apart. No one seemed to know very much about them. Yeah, there was something different about them. Something eerie and strange. Curiosity was my constant companion and I decided to investigate. Doreen says she crept up behind them to eavesdrop on their conversation. She said she didn't hear much, but she did distinctly make out a reference to, quote, the Satanist temple. Intrigued, Doreen stepped up to them and asked them straight out, what's this about the Satanist temples? The two girls said it was a secret, but then, after sharing a luck, they began to open up. And they said that as long as Doreen promised not to say a word, they would tell her more. She agreed and discovered that they called themselves Satanists and they worshipped at this temple of Satan. And Doreen asked straight out, can I come too? And after a glance to one another again, The women said, Okay, be outside the club at six tomorrow and we'll take you. The next night, Doreen stood outside the club at the right time, and at six o'clock sharp, a large black car drew up. The two girls were sitting at the back, but the driver told Doreen to get in, saying that she had to wear a blindfold. The location of Satan's temple could not be revealed to first-timers. Doreen did not object to this. In fact, she says that the blindfold just added to the excitement. And after a short car journey, Doreen was helped out of the car and then was led up a short flight of stairs. When she reached the top, her blindfold was finally removed. And this is what she claims to have seen. What I saw was astonishing and very mysterious. I was standing at the back of a very large hall filled with about 500 people. A platform at the front was draped in black. On a throne-like seat sat a robed and hooded figure. His garments were embroidered with snakes, dragons and flames of fire. Around him in a semicircle stood 13 figures robed in black. 
She was almost tempted to laugh, but then the ceremony began and she realized that she was actually in a place of extreme danger. Priests and priestesses chanted in a strange rhythmic chant that grew louder and louder as the robed figure in the center stepped down from the platform. Two of the priests removed his hood and everyone bowed down and worshipped him. That's the chief Satanist, one of the girls with me explained. He must be obeyed at all times. He represents Satan on Earth. Little did I realise that I had walked into the most ancient order of Satanism in the world. Suddenly, the dim lights went out and flaming torches were lit. For the first time, I saw the effigies of Satan around the walls. They seemed to come alive as the ceremony continued. A white cockerel was brought in and its neck was wrung right on the steps that led up to the throne and altar. Blood was everywhere. As the animal died a violent death, Doreen watched the worshippers in the room erupt into enthusiastic praise. But in amongst the frantic prayers and chanting, she was shocked when she saw the chief Satanist's eyes. He was looking right at her. It seemed as if his eyes were piercing right through me. I shivered. The whole ceremony lasted some two hours. It had been an awesome, if evil, experience. The chief Satanist appeared at the back of the hall in street attire, and he came over to me. He asked if she'd like to join them, reassuring her that there was nothing to be frightened of. She said he was clearly attracted to her, but she was still confused. I was puzzled. He sought me out from among 500 people. Why? Doreen Irvin had attended her first Black Mass, and though she wasn't sure she would ever attend again, she felt some sort of... Unexplained power that drew me back to the next meeting. Her second night of occult ritual went much like the first, yet despite seeing, quote, all manner of evil scenes, end quote, she said something had changed. She was no longer afraid. After that second night, she said she was flattered when the chief Satanist asked her to join him for a meal. Over dinner, he explained that all kinds of people could become Satanists, from prostitutes and drug addicts to bankers, teachers and nurses. The Church of Satan was open to all levels of society, he said, and there was no difference here. Doreen was beguiled by this man and what he was saying, especially when he told her that what many people call evil was actually good. And after a life of what she felt was sin, she was encouraged by this and started to feel persuaded that perhaps Satanism was for her after all. As the weeks went on, she attended the rituals, eventually without a blindfold or the extreme secrecy. Before long, she says that she became a fully-fledged Satanist, a decision which brought some strict rules with it. For example, she would now have to obey the chief Satanist without exception, She was banned from reading the Bible, and she was not allowed to enter a Christian church unless she had been sent on a spying mission by the chief Satanist. Remember what that Christian man told me about the local witches sneaking into churches and spying on the faithful and cursing marriages? Other club rules included a public whipping if she ever turned up late to the temple. She accepted all these rules wholeheartedly, and in time she became the mistress of the chief Satanist, who, she says gave her heroin as a gift. I asked no questions about the source of drugs, although 
I was now his mistress. The chief Satanist didn't care about my prostitution. He believed the more evil he condoned or achieved on earth, the greater would be his reward. If and when he died, he believed he would be in charge of legions of devils. So the greater the evil, the greater the reward. One day he informed me, you are now ready to become a sworn-in child of Lucifer. To become a child of Lucifer, Doreen claimed, involved a complicated and lengthy ceremony attended by many Satanists from across the English temples. And this, she says, is what happened one night, and it would lead to a discovery she had never dreamed of. I was dressed in a loose black robe, whilst hymns and prayers were chanted to the great god of darkness, death and mystery. Two priests disappeared behind the black drapes at the rear of the raised platform and returned with the sacred white cockerel. Its neck was broken and split open and its blood caught in a silver cup. The chief Satanist approached me and made an incision in my left arm and my blood was caught in the cup that contained the blood from the slain bird. The knife was kissed and the blood mixed. I then drank some of this blood and made my vows to Satan. Next, I dipped my finger in the mixed blood and signed a real parchment, thereby selling my soul to Satan forever and ever, to be his slave for all eternity. I was now a true Satanist and everyone rejoiced that another child of Satan was born. The people went crazy and all kinds of evil scenes followed. Much wickedness was done that evening. But then, during this ritual, Doreen says that she discovered she was more than just a child of Satan now. She was given a totally unexpected honour. To my surprise, I was sworn in as High Priestess. A high honour indeed in Satanist circles. When I protested that I wasn't ready for such a place of honour, the Chief Satanist said it was a request of the great Lucifer himself and he must be obeyed. I was known as the Great Priestess Diana. From a bit of conversation overheard at the strip club, I had become a leader in Satanist, and Satan was indeed my master. Now, so far, everything in Doreen's life story could potentially be explained in natural terms. After all, these rituals may have been intense, but it could have just been people with a different approach to religion. But this is where, in Doreen's account at least, things started to move into the supernatural realm and it would involve the actual manifestation of Satan himself. We'll be exploring these ideas in the second episode of this two-part special of Frightful. And after hearing her story and the strange things that occur, we will ask the question, was it real or was she lying to the world? But for now, I'm Peter Laws, and you've been listening to Frightful and the story of Doreen Irvin, Queen of the Black Witches. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.